You're listening to the Employment Rights Online podcast, where we discuss everything employment rights and the job. everyone. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Dr. Asha Sefanik Wadasi and once again it's great to be here. So in last week's podcast we took a brief look at the employment rights you have before you start working for a prospective employer. We looked at this based on the assumption that you are an external person outside the company applying for a job with a new employer And simultaneously, you're protected under the Equality Act 2010 because you belong to a protected characteristic group. Remember, you likely don't know this employer before you applied for the job and you don't have to have an employer-employee relationship with the employer that you could have used to get the employer to answer your complaint particularly if the employer decides not to respond to your letter of complaint. And if you find yourself in that situation, the only recourse left to you is to consider bringing a case of discrimination to an employment tribunal. But what happens if you're applying for an internal post as a current employee? What happens if you apply for the job and you believe you're the best person for the job? and you feel you have the evidence for this, such as you having better qualifications, skills, knowledge or experience, but your employer appoints someone else to the job, and you believe that this has happened because you belong to a protected characteristic group. What happens then? Now, immediately, if you want to complain, your status as someone with an employment contract of some sort with the employer entitles you to access the company's grievance procedures to have your complaint investigated. Company grievance procedures entitle you to register a complaint and to have your complaint investigated. And once you've lodged that complaint, there are six steps you should be aware of to ensure you give yourself the best possible chance to see your complaint through to the end of the grievance process. Now, right from the outset, if you don't have a copy of your company's grievance procedures, you need to get a copy. If you don't know where to access the document, contact your HR department and ask them to send you a copy. When you get that copy, keep it for your records. If you don't have a company HR department, you can request a copy of the procedures to be sent to you when you write your letter of complaint. Just include it in the letter and that's evidence that you've requested it. Now, I've created two letter templates, one of which is a grievance letter, which has the request for the grievance procedures written into the template. You can get your hands on that template if you click the link that's in the show notes. I'll say a bit more about that towards the end of the podcast. Now, back to the six steps. The first step is that you need to lodge your complaint in the right place. 
And you do this by bringing your complaint to the attention of the person at the next level above the person you wish to complain about. So, for example, if you want to complain that your immediate manager did not give you the job because you belong to a protected characteristic group, you need to register your complaint with the manager or person who supervises your manager or the person who made the decision not to employ you. You bring a complaint by putting your complaint in writing, although I appreciate that employers can consider verbal complaints and I've also known employment tribunals to take verbal complaints as formal complaints. That said, I would always advocate that you put your complaint in writing to make it formal and that way you have a record of the complaint and you're more likely to be able to track what's happened when your complaint is in writing. At this point, if you believe the recruitment and selection process was discriminatory, you need to say this in your complaint. You don't have to give away all of your evidence at this stage. You're merely registering your complaint. But you do need to say that you believe you've been discriminated against because it allows the employer to have the whole of your complaint in mind at the earliest point of dealing with your complaint. And it also prevents the employer from saying that they were not aware that you were complaining of discrimination. The second thing that should happen is that after receiving your letter of complaint, your employer's representative should send you a formal response to your complaint. The response should tell you what the next steps will be to get your complaint resolved. Step three of six should be that your employer arranges a grievance meeting or a grievance hearing. And where possible, this should take place within five working days of you lodging your complaint. Now, sometimes this doesn't always happen, but it's good practice from your employer that if there's likely to be a delay in getting the grievance meeting arranged, then this should be explained to you. Now, once the meeting is arranged, this is a meeting that you must attend. And the purpose of the meeting is to hear from you about your complaint. It's at this meeting that you should bring all your evidence of the complaint that you're making. Now, if you can't attend that meeting... It's also good practice for your employer to rearrange the meeting for you within five working days of the date of the original meeting. Once that new date is arranged, it's your responsibility to pass that date on to anyone who's there to support you with that meeting. And this is a meeting that you must attend because if you don't attend that meeting, Unless there are some exceptional circumstances, then the employer can hold the meeting in your absence and come to a decision in your absence. So once the date of your grievance meeting has been set, you must attend it. Now, when you attend that grievance meeting, you should think about all the evidence you need to bring to help you to prove that you were discriminated against. 
Think about the advert and whether the advert was fair in the way that it was worded or whether the job description was at fault or whether all the arrangements were in place for you to play a full and equal part in the interview process or any evidence you have to support your view that the employer was discriminatory in not appointing you. Now, you may also have a valid complaint if you believe your employer discriminated against you and didn't employ you because you've supported someone who belongs to a protected characteristic group who has challenged discrimination or if you have challenged discrimination but don't belong to a protected characteristic group. You may also have a case if someone believes that you do belong to a protected characteristic group when you don't, because the Equality Act says that the people who are protected under the Act are people who belong to a protected characteristic group and also people who do anything in relation to the Act or in relation to people who do belong to a protected characteristic group. Now, as I mentioned last week, there are currently nine groups and characteristics that are protected under the Equality Act 2010. And these are age, disability, gender reassignment, marriage and civil partnership, pregnancy and maternity, race, religion or belief, sex, meaning gender, and sexual orientation. So these are the nine protected characteristic groups. And so in relation to the last point I just made, you don't have to belong to those groups. But if you do anything to support anyone who does belong to those groups and you believe that the employer discriminated against you because you took that action to support someone who belongs to those groups, then you may have a case of discrimination. And if that's what you believe has happened, then you need to bring this evidence to your meeting. Now, when you're bringing your evidence, you can do this by having the information in your mind. But I always advise that you put your evidence in the form of a written statement that you can read at the meeting. It doesn't have to be anything fancy. You can just make some notes about the key points that you want to raise. And after the meeting, you can give those notes to your employer and ask the employer to accept your notes as evidence of the statements you wish to make. I don't believe that dispute meetings should be a memory test. And this is why I always advocate that you should write down everything that you want to say at the meeting. When attending your grievance meeting, it's important to remember that you have a right to be at least accompanied at the meeting. This means that you can bring a work colleague or a trade union representative with you if you belong to a trade union. What you can't do is bring a solicitor, a member of your family or your friend. Now, I have experienced employment tribunals because remember, I'm a 25 year employment tribunal lay judge. So in my experience, I have known employers allow 
all three intergrievance hearings. They've allowed solicitors, family members and people's best friends because the employer said that they wanted the meeting to be as fair as possible and they recognised the person was nervous and they allowed those people in in the interests of trying to settle the dispute. But it's important to note that employment rights law does not make provision for you to bring any other people into the meeting other than a work colleague or a trade union representative. So you must assume that these are the only people who will be allowed to come into the meeting with you. So bring a trusted colleague or a trade union member or trade union official who belong to the recognised company trade union. Bring those people with you. Try not to go to the meeting on your own. If you have witnesses from your company, your witnesses should also attend this meeting to give evidence on your behalf. Here, you have to note that you don't have a legal right to call witnesses at a grievance hearing. But in the interests of fairness, it's good practice for your employer to allow you to do this. And because the person also works for the company, the employer should also allow your witness to have time off to attend the hearing. However, if the employer doesn't allow you to call witnesses, the employer should at least allow you to submit a written statement from your witness to be considered as part of the evidence. At the meeting, the employer will hear all the evidence put forward by you and by the person representing the employer's recruitment and selection panel. So that will be somebody who's going to say that what the employer did was fair. And the employer or the person who made the decision might be there to give evidence about what they did and why they believe that their actions were fair. After the hearing, all the evidence must be looked at and the person hearing your complaint needs to make a decision based on all the evidence heard. And there can be two outcomes. They either believe you or they believe the employer. But whatever decision they come to, they must base that decision on all the evidence and on what is fair and reasonable and based on the custom and practice of the organisation or the business if this is relevant and as long as that is non-discriminatory. The fourth thing that happens is that after the grievance meeting, the employer should send you a grievance outcome letter and that letter tells you what's happened about your complaint. The letter should clearly set out whether your complaint's been successful and if it has been successful, it should tell you what's going to happen next to make things better at work. If your complaint, however, was unsuccessful, then the letter should clearly set out the process that you need to follow to lodge your appeal. Because employment rights law says that once you've submitted your complaint, you are by law entitled to appeal the decision not to believe your complaint. So your letter should clearly set out what you need to do to lodge your appeal. And it should contain details about who you need to send your appeal letter to 
and the letter should also give you a date by which you need to submit your appeal. If your letter doesn't contain a date, my advice is that you should submit your appeal letter within five working days of receiving your outcome letter. When you get these letters from the employer, keep all the letters and keep all the envelopes because the envelopes have a postmark on them with the date when the employer posted the letter to you. So keep the letter, keep the envelope as well, because this will help you if you need to prove that you've submitted your appeal letter within the time expected of you. The fifth stage is that you then have an appeal meeting, which should be with different people from those who are responsible for hearing your grievance. It's not fair that the people who heard your grievance, your complaint, should be the same people who now hear the appeal, because it's obvious that they're not going to overturn their own decision. So an appeal hearing should always be with somebody who has nothing to do, if possible, with the decision not to find in favour of your complaint, your grievance. Now, at the appeal meeting, a decision will be made about whether your complaint is found to be valid or not. If the employer decides your complaint is valid, the letter should set out the next steps for addressing the concerns you have raised. If the employer dismisses your appeal, the sixth and final step is to check whether there are any further stages of complaint with the company. Some companies and organisations have additional steps of complaint which you can access, but you'll need to check this with the company's grievance and disciplinary procedures to see whether this is the case for you. If there are no further stages of complaint within the company, it's at this stage that you need to consider whether you wish to submit an application to take your case to an employment tribunal. Now, I always say you should always have the possibility of a tribunal application in mind if you feel strongly enough that your employer has treated you in a discriminatory way. You should always have an employment tribunal in mind. The reason I say this is because very, very few employers, in my experience, ever admit that they have discriminated against their own employees. Very few employers will admit that. And so if you feel strongly that what was done to you was so bad that you want this matter resolved, then you should always have an employment tribunal in mind as you're going through the internal grievance procedures to have your complaint investigated. Now, when you're thinking about employment tribunals, you also have to think about the Equality Act 2010 because it's under the Equality Act that you will lodge your complaint with a tribunal. Now, with the Equality Act, there's no qualifying period to bring a case to tribunal. This is different to unfair dismissal cases, because in unfair dismissal cases, you need to have worked for your company for at least two years before you can bring a case of unfair dismissal to tribunal. However, for discrimination cases, there's no such qualifying period. 
This means that even if you've only been working for your company for one hour or one day, you can bring a case of discrimination to an employment tribunal. So if you're thinking about bringing a case to tribunal, the key thing to remember is that employment tribunals have time limits and you will need to submit your claim within three months minus one day of the date of the last act of discrimination that you're complaining about, which in this case would be the date of your appeal hearing because the appeal hearing represents the last opportunity that your employer would have had to put things right. So let's say, for example, your appeal hearing was on the 5th of February 2020. You would need to submit your claim to the tribunal no later than the 4th of May 2020. And I would even advocate going three days before just to account for postal delays. So it's important to keep that timeline in your mind, because if you go over that three months minus one day, it isn't that a tribunal won't accept your claim, but the employer will challenge you and say that your complaint is out of time. And employment tribunals don't like to get into having hearings about time limits. So the best thing to do is to avoid this completely by getting your complaint in on time. Okay, and that's it. That's a brief look at six steps you should follow when you're submitting a grievance complaint if you believe you've been discriminated against in a recruitment and selection process. And this is specific to people who already work for the company and have access to the company's grievance and disciplinary procedures. The first step is to write your grievance letter. The second step is for your employer to respond to your letter with arrangements for what should happen next. The third step is for you to attend a grievance meeting to have your complaint heard. The fourth step is for your employer to send you a grievance outcome letter telling you if your grievance has been successful or unsuccessful and what you should do to lodge an appeal if your grievance is unsuccessful. The fifth step is your right to an appeal hearing where you can challenge the findings of the grievance meeting. And the sixth and final step is to consider further stages for your grievance, your complaint. If the company allows this, or if not, for you to consider whether you wish to bring your complaint to an employment tribunal. Now, the final thing that I want to say is that to assist you with lodging your grievance and your appeal, I've created two neat little grievance and grievance appeal letter templates that you can use to lodge your grievance and your appeal. The appeal letter template is particularly useful because it gives you six different appeal reasons that you can pick from to use to lodge your appeal. Both the templates are in Word, so you can download them and use them immediately by adding your own information to the letters. If you would like the templates, you can get the templates at drasher.com 
www.mykajabi.com forward slash two. That's D-R-A-S-H-E-R dot M-Y-K-A-J-A-B-I dot com forward slash two. You can also get the templates by clicking the link at the bottom of the show notes where you're listening to this podcast. So wherever you're listening to the podcast, there should be some notes attached to that edition of the podcast. If you scroll to the very bottom of those show notes, you'll see a live link there. Just click that link and it will take you to the download. Don't forget that you can also get your hands on the cheat sheet from episode one of the podcast, which gives you 15 tips that you can use to help you through a complaint you're making about unfair treatment at work. And the cheat sheet guides you through that grievance in more detail than the six steps I've mentioned here. If you want that download, then you need to go to drasha.mykajabi.com forward slash number one. So the first one is a number two at the end. The second one is a number one at the end. And again, you'll find the link to that download at the bottom of the show notes where you're listening to the podcast. And that's it. It's been a bit of a long one, but I hope you found the episode useful. And I hope the downloads help you to take action where you feel you've been treated unfairly at work, whether that treatment is because of discrimination or not. Thanks for listening. And I look forward to you tuning in next week. Bye for now.